Welcome back to Tech Enabled, an AEI podcast on technology, public policy, and economic opportunity. I'm your host, John Bailey. One of the central questions facing policymakers and community leaders is how to best understand and improve economic mobility. Opportunity Insights was founded by economists Raj Chetty, John Freeman, and Nathaniel Hendren. Their team of economists from Harvard and Brown universities are working together to analyze new data and create new platforms to help community leaders make more informed decisions. The Institute's research on economic mobility harnesses the power of big data to document both the decline of the American dream in some neighborhoods and potential solutions to revive it. One of their platforms and mapping tools is called the Opportunity Atlas, which provides data on children's outcomes for every census tract in the United States. The tool gives policymakers and leaders the unprecedented ability to look within their city to better understand where opportunity exists and how each neighborhood shapes a child's future economic and educational success. We are joined this week by Shannon Spence, Director of Communications, and Lynn Overman, Senior Data Strategist, who share some of their most recent work, including a new economic tracker that can help communities track their economic recovery. Well, I'm so excited for everyone today to have the chance to get to learn more about Opportunity Insights. So welcome, Shannon. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks. Thanks so much, John. Happy to be here. First of all, for folks that may not know, what is Opportunity Insights? Sure. So Opportunity Insights is a research and policy institute that's based at Harvard University out of the Department of Economics. It was founded by Raj Chetty, Nathan Hendren, and John Friedman, who are all economists. They had a previous project called the Equality of Opportunity Project. Opportunity Insights is an evolution of that. Our mission is to identify the barriers to economic opportunity and develop scalable solutions that will empower people throughout the United States to rise out of poverty and achieve better life outcomes. That's fantastic. So I want to dive more into some of your past research and some of the tools you released. But more recently, in light of COVID, because of the huge economic challenges that states and local government are facing with restarting their economies, you've launched an economic tracker. So what is this economic tracker and what is it measuring? Yeah, the economic tracker really was designed to meet the immediate needs of federal, state, and local governments to assess their rapid recovery options after this COVID pandemic and economic shutdown, and to be able to create the ability for them to have targeted and nuanced decisions with real-time data. So what we did was we partnered with various in the private sector and were able to bring their data in-house to create a real snapshot, daily and weekly snapshot of the economy in a way that has never been done before. So the perfect example here is that the jobs report comes out on the first Friday of every month, right? And and that's the official gauge of the economy from the Department of Labor. But that survey that is in the jobs report was taken three weeks prior to the publication. So really, that's really telling us what the health of the economy was three weeks ago rather than what it is today. And we were really looking to solve that problem because in the 21st century, you know, policymakers need modern tools to be able to make modern evidence-driven decisions. And I love it too, because like you're able to, on the tool to go down at various levels too. What are the different levels that you can sort of parse out this data? At the moment, you can take the tool down to the state and county level, but we're hoping to be able to bring it down to the zip code level very soon. It's amazing. Lynn, what sort of trends are you seeing in this? Because again, it's just amazing getting a visual sort of representation of this data playing out over time across all these different levels of geography. Yeah, so I think there were some early trends that were identified that were kind of fascinating about consumer spending behavior in particular that has been picked up in the media. 
the one thing that I think was particularly interesting to us was this realization that even in states that didn't necessarily have formal stay-at-home orders or in states that kind of implemented those later, people actually started staying at home on their own. And then I think what we're also seeing now that several states are starting to open up is that that consumer spending or that and that mobility data is showing that folks are, are continuing to stay at home. So people really are heeding the public health advice, even when their states are kind of addressing it from a timing perspective differently. I think the other thing that was particularly fascinating that New York Times has done a, an incredible job of covering is how many people with means are kind of able to address this pandemic by moving. So the incredible data that showed up to 40% of particular neighborhoods in New York just left the city and then seeing the impacts that that has had on local businesses. So thinking about who has the capacity to pick up and move and get into a better circumstance and the impact that that has on the local economy as, as they move out. Obviously, an incredibly powerful tool. Like, What are some ways that you think a governor or a mayor could use this, given the really difficult economic decisions they have to make as part of their policy process over these next couple of months? Yeah, I think our overarching hope for this is really to try to help policymakers understand where the need is. So I think one of the greatest things that the tracker brings to the table is that we're able to track these trends across income levels, which is often not possible with some of the government data. I will say where we're lacking is some of the demographic data. So I think we recognize that this, this pandemic and the impacts are hitting differently in different communities and for different populations. And, and we'd like to get more granular on those fronts. But it's been fascinating. There's been a wave of policy response. And I think the most important thing that we can hopefully help bring to the table is understanding, are those efforts achieving the outcomes that we're looking for? Are we actually providing the supports that people need? And if not, what other responses do we need? And then I think the other thing that's really interesting is a wave of policy responses got implemented in about March or so, some of which are going to be coming to an end relatively soon. And I think the federal government is, is recognizing that and trying to address it, but looking ahead to things like unemployment benefits that are set to wind down, you know, starting as early as June, thinking about some of the eviction moratoriums that are, are coming to an end. How do we actually get ahead of things that we can anticipate and have appropriate policy responses for those? I want to go back to this wasn't the first set of data and tools that you released. And I think a lot of people and a lot of policymakers were really captivated by some of Opportunity Insights data around economic mobility and particularly some of the grim picture that it painted that some children in one neighborhood, even if they did everything right, would still face incredibly steep climbs and likely not be able to climb up the economic ladder. And just a few streets over, another child would have a much better chance of climbing up the economic ladder. So talk a little bit about the work that you all are doing around economic mobility and some of the tools that you've released to help guide and spark some important conversations in communities. I think that's right, John. The most well-known piece of research that we've had to this point has been the Opportunity Atlas. And the Opportunity Atlas is, it's still available at opportunityatlas.org, It's an interactive map that shows the social and mobility roots go back to childhood, right? So we've mapped 20 million American children that were born in the late 70s and early 80s. They're now in their 40s and late 30s. And how the community that they grew up in affected the income that they're earning today. This is so helpful for policymakers to be able to see at a very granular level. We took that data down to the census track, which is what we actually call neighborhoods many census tracts can go into one neighborhood. 
it's so helpful for a mayor or a governor to be able to look within a city and see what is happening on the east side of town is not the same as what's happening on the west side of town, even when demographically and socioeconomically, the kids are pretty much the same. What is going on there? What Opportunity Insights has added to the conversation is that magnifying glass to be able to see that in the age of big data. Where our data stops is where partnerships with policymakers begins. And policymakers are the ones that can actually take those statistics and provide the on-the-ground nuance by partnering with community organizations and practitioner areas to find out what really is going on in neighborhood A that's not going on in neighborhood B. And the really interesting thing about this is we see a wide range of outcomes in every city across America. But what's causing it in Charlotte is going to be different than what's causing it in Atlanta and what's causing it in San Jose than what's causing it in Salt Lake City. And that's where those partnerships with policymakers is really, really important to be able to understand the context of what's happening. I think it's one more thing to add to somebody who is a relatively recent immigrate to Opportunity Insights, but has spent a lot of time in the policy world. The recognition that there are multiple factors, which I think everyone intuitively knows, and I think Shannon covered it really well, which is it's going to look different in different communities, but there are some consistencies about what promotes opportunity and what doesn't. And it's not a single silver bullet, which I think is makes it much harder to try to figure out how to address it, but is a really important thing for policymakers to recognize that it can't be just an investment in improving schools in a particular neighborhood. There has to be a wide range of investments if we really want to see people thrive. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like how have you seen mayors and local community leaders using some of this data? I remember one of the early presentations that Raj Chetty showed was partnering with Seattle in that it wasn't just the availability of affordable housing, but where that housing was located in that the city was using your data to help figure out the best sites to put affordable housing. What are some other examples of how communities are using this information to drive their economic growth? Yeah, so that pilot in Seattle was actually having to do with choice voucher families and the barriers that exist to them accessing what we call a higher opportunity neighborhood. So that's based off of that data in the Opportunity Atlas, where we see that children with low-income parents end up to earn a higher income than their parents. We call those opportunity neighborhoods. We saw very promising results in Seattle that when those barriers are removed through various sort of low-cost services provided to them, that people want to move to the high opportunity neighborhoods. I mean, I think you know, one thing that we talk a lot about in our office is that we all want the exact same things for our kids. We all want to provide them with opportunities and, you know, allow them to live their best life. The Seattle pilot was super influential in housing policy. HUD in June is going to be releasing $25 million for the mobility demonstration. And that money is for public housing authorities across the country who want to implement similar mobility services to what we did in Seattle in their own communities. So we have a lot of conversations with a lot of different policymakers from all corners of the country and how they're able to implement the research sort of differs, but there's definitely an appetite for this kind of data and being able to use that to make decisions in their communities. That's great. Lynn, have you seen any other examples? Yeah, I think so. I think our our creating moves to opportunity project was probably the most concrete kind of direct research to policy translation that we've seen. Actually, what I joined Opportunity Insights to do, and we will continue to pursue once we've kind of gotten through this hump of COVID, 
is actually to build partnerships with state and local governments to bring in data because so much of the government interventions, both for good or for ill, actually happen at the state and local level. So one of, I think, the key findings from Opportunity Insights research is that Black boys in particular face really hard challenges in in being successful even when they grow up in high-opportunity neighborhoods and being able to understand at a more granular level what might be driving those changes or those differences and what we might be able to do to address them. So we're really interested in working with state and local governments to get more data into our big data set on things like K-12 education, on things like criminal justice engagement, on things like emergency benefits, which are both relevant for our long-term research, but also understanding how government services are trying to address vulnerable populations in times of emergency and in times of... It's such a great point, but let's go a little bit deeper on that. What are things that government, state and local governments can do in terms of some of their data that, I mean, a lot of these places are data rich, but information poor, or they have their data trapped in proprietary systems, or they make it very difficult for researchers like yourselves to, to be able to access. Are there steps that state and local governments can take to better free up some of that data and make it easier available for you? Yes. I mean, I think the open data movement has been extraordinarily helpful. So many communities across the country are working to release data in an open format for people to do analysis for them. There's been some really interesting work in a couple of different areas. I think the other insight is that open data alone is not necessarily always the solution. You mentioned proprietary platforms. Oftentimes, state and local governments can't necessarily get their data out from those. But I think in my mind, there's kind of different levels of priority. One is we absolutely want governments to be able to make data-driven decisions. Some of those decisions, it might be easier for governments to do that internally by leveraging technology platforms that can safely and securely link data across different systems to help drive information. I think there's really important privacy considerations that we have to keep in mind if we're thinking about ways that government can improve operations in terms of direct service provision to individuals. Privacy is very important. I do think that that sometimes becomes more of a barrier than it needs to be. And state and local governments really, some some state and local governments have done a fantastic job of overcoming those and leveraging their data effectively to try to drive service improvements. I think more effective information sharing across governments as to how they've been able to achieve that, the different technology platforms they might be able to use would be really helpful to kind of share across different municipalities. But open data generally, and I think one of the great things about the OI tracker and then also OI generally is we make all of the data that we have available for public download. So there are things that we are really good at. And I would say having some of the top economists in the country is probably our our shining star here. So we're great at economic analysis, but we may not be the best people to be building dashboards from our data, for example, or kind of doing bespoke data analysis for government partners. But because the data is available, other groups could do that from our data. And I think the more data that's available for those purposes, the more we can maximize the incredible amount of technology talent that's out there and help governments get the information that they need. So fantastic. Thank you so much, not just joining us today, but for all you're doing to help empower leaders with all this just vital, important data to make these really important decisions today and over these next couple of months. So thank you so much. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for having us. 